Praise the Lord, and this is Pastor Adams, President and Founder of Truth Matters Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. We're so thankful that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to join our Truth Matters podcast today. And we're just so excited to be attendants and to be custodians of this very vital ministry of contending for the faith that has once and for all been delivered unto the saints. And we've been in a episodes concerning Calvinism, reformed or deformed. It's so important that we as members of the body of Christ that we can really scale the barriers, we can scale the language and the definitions, and be able to make a distinction between biblical truth and perhaps organizational or traditional truth. And one thing that we're going to do today before we get into our teaching is we want to pause and pray. Now, Father, we thank you for your holiness. We thank you that from the foundation of the world, you chose us that we should be holy and blameless before you in love. And we know certainly, God, that you said that we should be holy even as you're holy. You told us that we should be perfect even as our Heavenly Father is perfect. And we know, Lord God, that perfection it speaks of maturity. And we know that there is no sinless perfection because you are the sinless, perfect one. And there's none like you. And Lord, even in our frailties and our blemishes and even, Lord God, in our, in our wrinkles that exist within our living and within our lives, as a part of our humanity, God, we thank you that you loved us enough to go to Calvary the righteous for the unrighteous, the guiltless for the guilty. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we may become the righteousness of God in him. And for this, we're thankful, God. We thank you that your blood covers us. We thank you that there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Thank you, God, for your amazing grace. Bless someone today. Let someone come to know the tenets, the pillars of this so great a salvation. We thank you today, Lord God, that we establish your truth and we stand firm upon your established principles. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so true are the words that were spoken by Oprah Winfrey. She said, one thing that I know for sure is that speaking the truth is the most powerful tool that we have in the world. And it's so important what was spoken by George Orwell. He said, in a time of deceit, telling the truth is now a revolutionary act. And I stand shoulder to shoulder with the speakings of the, the, the speaking of Blaise Pascal when Blaise Pascal said that truth is so obscure in these days and falsehoods have been so well established he said that unless people just love the truth you can't even know the truth but Jesus says you will know the truth and knowing the truth will make you free and we've been going through so many aspects of Calvinism we've discussed um, the acronym TULIP we've shared the five points of what is what is known as um, the five points of Calvinism. And then we've also looked at what the Bible shares as it relates to total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, 
and the perseverance of the saints. And today we're going to continue in discussing what is called monogerism versus synergism. We've talked about synergism, but see Calvinists, they teach a concept that is contrary to scripture that's called monogerism, meaning that God is the sole agent in regeneration. God does it in no one else. No one else has an active part but God. It's just one monogerism. And they also suggest that man has no inclination to holiness, and he knows nothing about it until he's born again. See, we at Truth Matters believe that God, the Holy Spirit, should be permitted to really give his testimony concerning his will as it relates to election and salvation. A scripture that comes to mind is 1 Timothy 2.4. Here Paul spoke to Timothy and said, God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God's word says he desires all men to be saved. But Calvinists to maintain allegiance to the institutes and the canon of Dort, Calvinists commit the most egregious error in interpreting the Bible. And it's called interpolation, which means to insert the thought or an idea that the text is speaking of God desires all men of the elect. What's the interpolation? They added the term or the thought of all men of the elect to be saved versus what the clear original teaching of Scripture says that God desires all men to be saved. 2 Peter 3 and 9 tells us that God does not will that any human being perish in hell, but that all men should come to repentance. But Calvinists, they insert the thought that God does not will any human being of the elect to go to hell, but that only the elect should come to repentance. This is very similar to what we see within Watchtower Theology, where the Bible says in Colossians, it says that Jesus created all things and all things were made by him. But since the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society does not believe that Jesus Christ is God and that he was the creator, they inserted the word other so that the text reads that he exists before all other things instead of being the one who existed before all things, because there's only two categories. There is creator and there is creation. And everything that is a part of creation is a thing. So Jesus could not be a created being or exist after anything because he would have to be a thing. That's why the scripture says in Colossians, he exists before all things. And since the Watchtower knew that there were only two categories. They had to put the word other things to dilute and diffuse Jesus Christ of his eternal deity. Romans 2 and 11 reminds us that God is no respecter of persons. He had chosen people that were covenant people, Israel, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham, right? But just as at Pentecost, he began to speak in fellowship with all tongues and all people in the world. He likewise has no respect of special groups. He doesn't have a specially let group or preferred people. 
And when we look at scripture, we'll, we'll do that during this exposition of what the elect really means. Calvinists can read verses like John 3.16 and they can force their presuppositions into it. Now, we know what the Bible reads. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, what does the scripture expound to us? Let's look at it a little bit closer. What does it really say? What it says is, God loved or smiled on all humanity, too, through sending his Son, Jesus, to die, all or whoever in, in an autonomous, human autonomous perspective in the world believed in Jesus, which is conditional, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Since the scripture does not agree with the five points of Calvinism, they, just like the Jehovah Witness, had to insert the idea that God only loved the elect. And God means that whosoever of the elect may only believe and have eternal life. Now, to give a snapshot of the Calvinist arguments that imply that God in his sovereignty elects only certain ones and man's autonomy and freedom is superseded or deleted, we have to make sure that we look at the totality of Scripture. Now, let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-seven. It says, no one knows the Father except the ones who he wills to reveal him to. See, the Calvinists isolate the comment from the larger context that says, He wills all who labor and are heavy laden, meaning all mankind who's under the bondage of sin, slavery can come to him. But when they take scriptures out of context, then it becomes a pretext. And pretext is always what we call the cauldron of error. Matthew 22 and 14 tells us, by way of commentary, that God had a covenant people, Jews, and they were invited initially as it relates to being a part of his feast, but they were not willing to come. So he sent out his servants into the highways and hedges to compel men from every municipality, every type of person, whether they were good or evil, Jew or Gentile, to come to him. And then he says, many are called, but few are chosen. Many questions arise, such as, were those not willing to come, not willing to come because, as Calvinists suggest, they were not the chosen? Is that true? Or were they not chosen because they were not willing to come to Jesus, as Jesus seems to teach? See, it appears that you cannot agree with Jesus and at the same time logically embrace unconditional election. When we consider unconditional election and the reprobate, meaning the person who was elected to go to hell, which is contrary to Calvinism, when Jesus spoke to those going to hell, he every time in every instance says it's based upon man's autonomous rejection of the gospel or their evil deeds. When God denies a people, he gives consistent reasons. Case in point, in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, he tells of the gradual erosion and the subsequent judgment of God concerning the Jewish nation. What was the basis of his actions? The actions are revealed in John 3, 19. It trumpets out this truth. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? 
because their deeds were evil. Matthew 13 speaks profoundly of the variables that enact judgment or justification. In the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, those who were not saved made personal choices. They desired things. They focused on carnal vanities. The tares that were among the wheat were artificial implants, placed not by God as suggested by Calvinism, but they were placed by the devil. A very critical distinction as we exegete these texts in Scripture. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10, Paul said, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. What was that again, Paul? They perish because they refuse to love the truth and they did not want to be saved. So in Calvin Institutes, Calvin, following the teachings of Augustine, states that God is the author and the orchestrator of evil, or destinati ad peccatum. But we don't find that in Holy Scripture. We find it in religious tradition that is being fostered upon the church by the teachings of John Calvin. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 tells us that the fornicator, the thieves, the homosexual and drunkards will not go to heaven, but will go to hell. Why? It is because of their conduct, not God's choice. 2 Corinthians 5 and 10 reminds us that we must all appear before the what? Judgment seat of Christ. Why? To receive the things that we have done in our bodies whether it's good or evil. So what are you saying, Pastor Adams? Well, you're going to appear before the judgment seat because you're going to be accountable for what you do. The evil that you do and the righteous things that you do, it all is done based upon your choice. Revelation 3 and 20 speaks of Jesus knocking on the universal door. And when he was knocking, he made a statement. He says, if any man will open, they can have fellowship with him. If any man overcomes, God will grant to them to sit with him in heavenly places. And once again, within the synergistic perspective of Scripture, we see that God is consistent. Any man can come. If any man overcomes, they can sit with him in heaven. It is not preordained. It is not predestinated. It is not predeterminism. It is based upon the synergistic ability of God working in cooperation with man's human autonomy and will. What does Acts 3 and 38 tells us? It says, those people not listening or giving heed to my word, they're the ones that will perish. Revelation 20 and 12 also speaks a very important uh, revelation to us. It reveals that God as a righteous judge revealed who would go to heaven or hell based upon their own works or evil deeds. See, the gospel is called good news, right? If a man was unconditionally elected for hell for no autonomous reason, then the gospel is no longer good news. The gospel of Calvinism is horrible. It's repulsive news for the reprobate. God has consistently made promises to mankind that were conditional. 
He spoke of the blessing his people if they were obedient, if they endured, if they were faithful, if they humbled themselves, if they turned from their wicked ways, loved and trusted and forgave. Our relationship with God is a conditionally based dynamic. Throughout the panoply of scriptures, God deals with man based upon an accredited autonomy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, the Holy Spirit called me through the gospel. He enlightened me with his gifts and he sanctified and preserved me in the faith that was written by Martin Luther. See, Martin Luther, although a proponent of Calvinism, clearly taught that the gospel or the preach word and the individual's faith is what produced new life. Things that make you say, hmm. Here again, the concept of unconditional election, just as total depravity, they're so easily refuted by scripture. Now, we're going to look at the third aspect of TULIP and what's called limited atonement. This aspect of Calvinism is a sequential extension of unconditional election. If God elected certain persons for no specific purpose, then the atonement on Calvary was restricted to only certain people. When Jesus went to Calvary, Calvinists insist he was only going for certain people. Who were they? The elect. Now, by way of example, Jesus didn't pay the ransom note to the Father for the unelect. So if one of the unelect was your mother or your child, there is nothing that they can do or say that would change their eternal destiny. Just think about the absurdity of that. In fact, when I was in Sunday school, I was never taught anything as mundane and egregious as that. See, there is no reason for children to obey their parents or to be law-abiding citizens or even go to church or read their Bible. Why? Their sins were not paid for. The word of God is ineffective for the unelect. They can't receive it. They can't do anything towards it. This is Calvinist God. This Calvinist God is not even as kind or just as the God of Islam or the Quran. At least Allah at least disqualified and punished people for their evil deeds. But this Calvinist God, from the beginning of the world, before the beginning of the world, throughout all eternity, he had determined that he was going to select certain people to be in hell no matter what, for no reason. They're just going to die in hell. Is this a type of salvation that God provided for mankind? Well, let's see if scripture agrees with Calvinism. If Christ died for the elect only, why did Paul tell us in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6 that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for just the elect? No, he said for all men. If Christ didn't die for everyone, why did the Hebrew letter say in Hebrews 2 and 9, he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So Jesus Christ tasted death for everyone. That's what the Bible says. See, Calvin didn't read his Bible. 
for he would have noted that the scriptures attest that those that were lost or not saved denied the Lord that brought them. So the clear teaching of scripture is God tasted death and paid the price for everyone. Some still denied him, neglected and rejected him. It's similar to the government allocating and imputing billions of dollars for the Montgomery bill. And in the Montgomery bill, it states that any soldier, airman, marine or sailor can use those appropriated available dollars. Now, the fact and averages indicate that many didn't use what was paid, allocated, and provided for them. See, Matthew tells us in Matthew 24 and 14, the gospel will be preached to the whole world before the end comes. The whole world does not refer to a geographical location only, but it's speaking of people who inhabit the world. Luke 3 and 6 informs us that all flesh, all humanity will be exposed to the salvation of God. John 3.16 testifies that God died for the whole world so that no one believing will perish, but those who are believing will have eternal life. To deny these truths will require Calvinists to add their thought eisegesis to the text. There are no, they are no different than Jehovah Witnesses who do the same thing to fit their theology. 1 John 1 and 12 says that Jesus is the atonement sacrifice for our sins for current Christians and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Calvinists can't teach limited atonement and suggest that all of these texts refer to the elect rather than the pagan reprobate or sinner. Well, what does the passage mean when the critical point here is John demolishes the Calvinistic error by stating that Jesus died for the Christians who Calvinists entitled the elect? And also for the rest of the world, which is the ungodly. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. I want you to notice, never does the term elect ever surface when it, re when it relates to salvation. What you say, Pastor Adams? I want you to notice that the term elect, it never surfaces when it relates to the topic of salvation. Now, Acts 17 and 27 trumpets that God wants man to seek him, feel after him, and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Here, Paul is reinforcing the fact that God did not have an elect category of people. Since in verse 26, he narrates concerning all men in the whole world were in his view. Paul gives witness that what Jesus said in Luke 1 and 9, that if you seek, you will find. No, our God made provision for whosoever will. And whosoever will, they can still come to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 1 John 4, 14 explains, The Father has sent the Son as the Savior of the world. Mark 16, 15 and 19 tells us something so powerful. The disciples were to preach throughout the whole world. That's the whole world of created men, all created men. Those who choose to believe will be saved. Those who didn't choose to believe will be condemned. And they went out and they preached everywhere. Romans 5 and 6 tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. That means everybody, because everybody was ungodly. Or he would have said, Christ died for the ungodly among his predestinated elect. But we don't find that in Scripture. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4 says, God our Savior 
desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. See, Calvinists have accepted have accepted Calvin's limited atonement and they've sabotaged the Holy Scriptures as a result. What does the Calvinist do with this verse? It categorically opposes limited atonement. R.C. Sproul, one of the Calvinists, responded with the Calvinistic interpretation that God desires all elect men to be saved. But see, this is in violation of the laws of hermeneutics. And Calvinists commit the forbidden practice of interpolation by inserting words or ideas not originally intended by the author. The text says, all men. To maintain the Calvinist life support, they insert the all men of the elect. Can't add to it. You can't take nothing out. One of the most egregious errors that anyone in the Bible says, he who adds or takes away from my revelation, I'm going to add you to the plagues and I'm going to take your name out of the Lamb's book of life. That's right. Truth matters today. So God is just is just and he's merciful. Remember, he left the ninety nine to get the one lost sheep. That's his consistent, revealing, loving, merciful nature. One of the errors of limited atonement is it teaches that from all eternity, the elect were predestined to be saved. So in essence, they were never lost. You hear me? If they were predestinated from the foundations of the world, they were never lost. They were going to go to heaven because God predestinated from the foundation of the world. See, the problem arises when you read Luke 19 and 10. It says, the son of man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Well, Calvinistically speaking, the lost were the reprobate, the unelect. So Jesus came to save the lost. For the lost can't be the elect because the elect were never lost. Do you see the conflict and the deformity of Calvinism? I know I do. We thank God for you taking time to listen to this Truth Matters podcast on Calvinism, reformed or deformed. And I pray that you've been blessed and that you've been able to look at the scriptures, look at the truth of God's word, and to be able to make a distinction and to make a comparison between truth and error. And I'm reminded of the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. He says that truth is so obscure in these days and falsehoods have been so well established that unless men love the truth, he says you can't even hardly know it. It's the difference between wheat and chaff and the chaff that has been inserted into so many religious doctrines. It takes a person who loves the truth to mine the truth out of God's word to counter the lies and the distortions that have been perpetrated upon the church. God bless you and you pray for us in Jesus name. Amen.